This is Neon and Beyond. Thank you so much for staying along on our journey this morning as we get you up close and personal with things that continue to happen. Great things, I might add, here in Southern Nevada, Clark County, and the greatest state ever that is Nevada. And of course, bringing awareness and looking for assistance if you need it this morning as well. So my next guest joining us is Ellen Curtis. And Ellen is the founder of Hops for hope and a lot of great things surrounding this a, a great weekend a few weeks weekends ago that wrapped up to help with this but it continues always something that goes on throughout the year but this morning we are talking about specifically ALS and and real quick Ellen before we introduce you to everyone this is a disease that the nerve cells break down it reduces function functionality in the muscles that they supply the cause is unknown. You might know it better as Lou Gehrig's disease. The main symptoms is muscle weakness. Medication and therapy can slow ALS and reduce discomfort, but as of now, there's no main cure. And with that being said, Hops for Hope founder, Ellen Curtis. Good morning, Ellen. How are you? Hi, good, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on. We have never been able to speak, and this is something that I have spoke with the ALS Foundation and different um, charity events that have happened throughout the years here on Neon and Beyond. But this is really cool that you've done Hops for Hope, and we're going to get to the big event that you guys did and, and what goes into that and how people can still help you guys. But, but first, as the founder... There's a story there, and why ALS is in the forefront of your family and what happened. Can you share that with us? For sure, for sure. So I'm actually the co-founder with my husband, Chris Curtis, who was diagnosed with the disease in 2014. And he was an attorney here in town um, with uh, uh, one of the larger law firms and a super active, active guy and very active in the craft beer community. He was quite the aficionado. Awesome. <laughs> You'll find his name on the wall at Craft House, and he was a, a founding donor for Mojave, and he was uh, in all of the tap rooms all over the city. And um, when he was diagnosed, um, we were terrified and devastated as a family, but he immediately said, wow, before I um, really struggle, I want to do something to to give back and to help out and to bring awareness. I, I feel like, you know, we're even, even faced with this diagnosis, I feel like we're in a pretty fortunate position to be able to shed some light on this disease and what it means and, and try and help. So he um, and I decided, because of his affinity for beer, he and I decided that starting a, a fundraising arm called Team Curtis for a Cure to assist with the local ALS chapter would be the most beneficial thing. You know, initially we had thoughts of, oh, let's start a 501c3. Well, that, that's just beyond our scope of <laughs> ability and, right. uh, you know, just too time intensive and all that stuff. So we thought, well, let's partner with the ALS Association here locally in Nevada and become sort of a fundraising arm for them. And so one of the ways to raise funds and awareness in kind of a fun way and to make it not be such a downer, because the disease really, truly is a downer, um, is to wrap it kind of around beer and fun and charity. And so Hops for Hope was a way to do that. And he was such good friends with so many brewers in town that everybody jumped in. So we actually started it in 2018 and who had two very successful years 
before he passed away at the end of 2020. I'm sorry. And that is something... Yeah, no. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say that is something that has got to be the hardest when you're first diagnosed with the, with this disease, not only for the person diagnosed, but for the family as no cure. I, I would say it's up there with pancreatic cancer because you don't know how long you have been given when you get that diagnosis. Exactly. Well, we, we actually ended up going to UCLA to get the official diagnosis because so few cases of it are seen in Nevada. There are probably statewide just about maybe just over 100 patients total, and that's not even the state. That's people from outside of the state who seek services in the state because we're the closest chapter to where they live. Um, and the ALS, I will, I will say the ALS Nevada chapter is integral in helping patients and families because they run the monthly ALS clinics. So they pull together all of the, um, treating physicians and therapists into one monthly clinic. Um, so neurology and speech pathology and occupational therapy and physical therapy, um, all comes together in one to help families sort of navigate through this. And then they have care services folks who kind of help you navigate the insurance and, and medical portion of things. So that's why raising money is so vital because the money raised funds the operation of the chapter to help families. And what is some of the signs that you guys went through for those that are listening this morning? We are talking to Ellen Curtis and specifically about ALS and her husband uh, was diagnosed in 2014, correct, Ellen? Yes. And that is something that, like you said, is few and far between here in Nevada, but it is going on and it is something that there is no major cure. There's nothing, you know, except living the best life you have from the time you're diagnosed till the time, unfortunately, that the disease takes you. So as far as those listening this morning, what was your story of what happened and how you figured this out? Well, so he would, he was a really active um, guy. He was a trail runner and a cyclist and a hiker and every outdoor pursuit. Very, very avid off-road racer. Um, so he kind of started noticing when he would go for a trail run, um, he'd come back and say, wow, I, you know, I kind of felt like, I, my, like my left foot was kind of dragging, like I was super stumbly, like I was tripping. You know, and me, supportive wife, I'm like, well, watch where you're going, babe. You're through, you know, <laughs> right. rocks and stuff in the wash, you know. And, um, and then he started sort of noticing that he was having some weakness in his left hand. And he was out in Mar Mount Charleston doing a climb, and he slipped and fell because he, he thought he had maybe torn a rotator cuff. But really, we learned later that it was just weakness in his shoulder muscle that didn't allow him to hang on. And... So he was experiencing all these sort of weakening um, events uh, around his muscles, and then he started having muscle fasciculation. So his muscles in various areas of his body started twitching. And so I said, you clearly have, like, some kind of nerve thing going on. You need to go to the doctor. And he said, yeah, yeah, I will, I will. Well, at the end of 2013, he went to zip a jacket and literally could not make his left hand work to zip the jacket. There was just no fine motor function in his left hand. And I said, okay, there's something seriously wrong. But still thinking, oh, maybe he pinched a nerve, you know. Right. And it took about, it took from, 
the end of November until July 2014 to get the official diagnosis because it's really a diagnosis of exclusion. There are other things that can indicate muscle weakness, but in ALS, your brain just basically stops talking to your muscles. So that's why the twitching happens because the muscles aren't getting the communication from the brain to understand what's supposed to happen. So they twitch and then they receive no notification and they eventually die. So, I mean, this is everything you're describing is just, uh, I'm listening to this and, and from the little that I know of other interviews that I've had, this is very scary because the cause is unknown. Well, it's very, very scary. And you try to figure out like why on earth. And he was, um, 50 when he was diagnosed. Um, and so he young. had, you know, two, two, you know, t- teenage sons at the time. And, um, so he was terrified. He's like, well, what if, you know, what if they get it? Like, what if they have markers for it? But familial ALS is extremely rare. And there was no one in his family that had it. So the likelihood of him passing it on to our children is like almost none, you know. Right. But it was a terrifying thought, right? Yes. It was, it was very scared. So, and when he was diagnosed in 2014, he was basically given a prognosis of two to five years. And he lived seven. So we kind of, we, you know, we won. <laughs> you feel grateful <laughs> how, for that. That's kind of how we, that's kind of how we looked at it is that we, uh, you know, beat the odds. Absolutely. Um, and that's, and it was, go ahead. I was just going to say, and that's just so beautiful to hear that story of something that's so tragic and so scary. You know, you lived a great life and took something that was very traumatic for your entire family and did such a great thing on the hops for hope. And we, you know, the, the, I think the biggest thing to Chris is since he was so active and because we were so fortunate, we were able to continue, he was able to continue to do the things he loved. Now, listen, it was a lot of work later because he was completely paralyzed, was on a vent to breathe. Um, it was very difficult getting him out and about and keep him entertained, you know? So, um, I, I don't want to downplay how really torturous and dreadful a disease this is because it takes a village to, to make it work. It's just really hard. It's like I said, it's, <laughs> I said, living with Chris is like living with an absolutely freshly newborn baby who can't do anything for themselves but has a really strong opinion and is very verbal. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great way. And you can have some laughter through it, which, you know, always is the best medicine, I think, at the end. Totally. And his his motto and the the motto that we kind of used throughout um, everything that we did was do what you can do. So whether you're a patient and you're, you're living with this disease, continue to do and be as active whatever you can do. And as you, you lose those little abilities, grieve those losses and then put them away and move forward. Um, I think one of his, his therapists um, said it best because we were like, well, what do we expect? And she said, you know, it's really hard to know what to expect. She said, so the way I like the analogy I like to use is imagine your body is a, a high rise building and all the lights are on. And as the disease progresses, the lights on the different floors and in the different rooms are just going to start to go off. 
and it's going to be random, and you're not going to know what light is going to go off when. It's just going to go off, and at the at the end of it, the building is dark, right? So that, that at least sort of gave us a visual marker for, okay, we just have to be open and accepting and, um, take it one day at a time and not try to look too far into the future and then just, you know, kind of wing it. One day at a time. But because we were so fortunate and we were able to afford with the assistance of friends and family and a great support network, we were able to get a mobility van for Chris's chair. So it enabled him to continue to be mobile even when he could no longer drive. But he could roll his chair into it, and sometimes he needed help getting his chair into it because his hand wouldn't work. But so many ALS patients in Nevada don't have the wherewithal to get transportation, right? So they end up stuck in their homes and they can't do um, what they can do, right? Right. So with Hops for Hope, the first year in 2018, we raised enough money for the foundation to um, do a grant request of the Christopher Reeve Foundation to get money for a transportation program. So with that Christopher Reeve grant, we were able to set up a program where we could provide uh, Nevada's ALS patients with free transportation. So we made um, connections with local mobility uh, companies like um, Mobility Works and another, and the name is flying out of my head, forgive me, but um, to do free van rentals. So all a patient had to do was contact their, their care. Uh, services director at the ALS Association say, hey, I need a van for whatever. I want a van for a week to go to Southern California with my family, or I want a van for a day because I'm going to go see a show or go out to a movie or whatever, or I need a van to, you know, whatever it was. And so we got that program going, and then we started to add to it. We, you know, had restaurants donate gift cards so that you could get the van and then here's your gift card to go to a restaurant to go out and have dinner. You know, if you were a patient who could still eat, that's one of the things that goes away too. So a lot of patients can't eat, but um, we tried to get tickets to shows or tickets to, you know, go get your hair cut or whatever. Right. So we, um, we really managed to impact a lot of lives. There was a young man, he was, uh, diagnosed at 26, and he really hadn't been out of the house to speak of um, because he declined very, very quickly and was um, in a wheelchair very, very quickly, and it was very difficult for them to get him in and out of a regular vehicle. So he was able for the first time literally in a couple of years to um, get out of the house and take a vacation because of the transportation program. Aww. And there was another woman in northern Nevada who was able to go see her granddaughter's dance recital, and she had never been to a dance recital before. So there were just all these wonderful stories about how just having transportation really enhanced and impacted lives. So now Hobbs for Hope really is pretty much the driver for the transportation program. So the funds that we raise feeds that program and it also feeds um, respite care for caregivers um, because 
if you think suffering from ALS is hard, it's also very, very hard to be a family member, a caregiver for somebody right. suffering from ALS. And so having the ability to have someone come in and be with your loved one while you can escape and go sort of recharge and reinvigorate is so um, important. And so there's respite care money that, that we um, give to folks so that they can use it for that assistance when they need to get away. Well, this morning, Ellen Curtis has joined us, and she is the founder, along with her husband, Chris Curtis, of Hops for Hope, and of course, specifically, all funding and helping the disease ALS. And I know you guys had the big event that happened over the weekend, but this continues throughout the year, and this is something also May is... ALS Awareness Month. So for those listening this morning that, you know, we didn't know about the hops for hopes or, you know, now we're, we're like, we need to help or we want to find out more information. How can we do that, Ellen? Um, the, the information is online at, um, the ALS association. So it's ALSANB.org, but then specifically to go to direct uh, donate directly to Hops for Hope. It's, and I'm going to just say this very slowly. Okay. <laughs> it's webnv.alsa.org slash go to slash hops, the number four for hope. Um, so webnv.alsa.org slash go to slash hops for hope um, to donate directly. Um, so, my husband passed in uh, just right before Christmas in, in December of, of 2020, and um, it had been, we were on hiatus. We had done 2018 and 2019, and then in uh, 2020, like the whole world, we were kind of shut down because of COVID. And then he, as he declined, um, and we knew we wouldn't be able to do anything in 2020, so we just kind of thought, okay, well, maybe next year. But then he passed, and so 2021 didn't happen. And then the absolutely fabulous Matt Marino, the head brewer at Abel Baker, reached out to me at the uh, probably about mid-April of this year and said, hey, you know, I had made a promise to Chris um, to help him keep Hops for Hope going. Um, because I knew that it was really important to him and that, um, you know, he would want to know that his legacy was still, still alive in some fashion. And then he even had a more personal, beyond that promise to my husband, he had a more personal um, reason as his dad was um, recently diagnosed with ALS. So that, you know, just sort of solidified the need to, to keep going. So he reached out to me and said, Hey, I really want to, I really want to get this going again. You know, are you good with that? Are you interested? You know, and he's like, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> I said, no, I wanted to help. I'd love to. I said, I've been feeling a little haunted by the fact that, you know, I was feeling like, how am I going to get this going again? What am I going to do? You know, I don't know enough about the brewing process or what it takes. So the fact that Matt took the lead and just you know, wrapped me in, and um, I got to meet his wonderful, wonderful dad. And so I'm just so excited that we were able to bring it back. And um, Maybe you could do it more than once a year. We could do it more than once a year. I, I fear a little bit of overkill, you know. 
I think you have to be careful with charitable events. I really do. Um, you know, people, people get weary. They get hit over the head yeah. by all kinds of charities all the time. I know, but this is such a big thing. And I think that, you know, when you, when you mix alcohol with any things to raise money, it's a good thing. And I don't know that you'd oversaturate it. It is a good thing. It's a really good thing. And the, the most wonderful thing, too, is because Matt's so well-respected and because my husband was so well-known, um, you know, just kind of throughout the community, there, there's just been a ton of support. So the, the money is raised a couple of different ways. The brewer, Matt, got, you know, hops donated, which is amazing. And then he uses his time and energy and resource to brew the beer and then reaches out to all the folks in the community who might be interested in buying the beer. And then 100% of the keg sales goes back to the charity. And then those places that buy the keg, most of them donate the sales of the pints back to the charity. Oh, so this is amazing. Of a double prong. Yeah. yeah. And then we have the website for people to donate directly and then we had these wonderful release events. This year started at um, 595 Craft and Kitchen. And we had a release event and um, did a raffle there that raised additional money that went to the charity. And then the next one was at Corey's Fine Wine and Spirits. East has been a huge supporter of ours since Chris was diagnosed, really. he just He's done a number of wonderful things for us. And uh, we did another raffle there, which raised money. And then the closeout release event was um, on Sunday at Abel Baker, where we raised even more money. So it's just been it's been just phenomenal. I'm I'm hoping that we hit twenty five thousand um, at the end of it. I have a feeling it might even be more, um, but that will be the most raised of of any of our years, which is just fabulous. And you, there were just so many people who, who supported the local PTs, Tanaya Creek, Mojave Brewing, Silver Stamp, Craft House, Atomic Liquors, Big Dogs, Banger, Astronomy, Love Lady. I mean, all of these places and more um, jumped in to buy kegs and help, and help promote it. So it really is a community-wide effort. And I will tell you that the craft beer community in Nevada is unlike any other. I mean, they are just astonishingly giving and wonderful and tight and close-knit, and I, I just can't say enough about how supportive and wonderful they've been. Well, this morning we are talking with Ellen Curtis. She is the co-founder of Hops for Hope, along with her husband, Chris Curtis, who was diagnosed in 2014 with ALS. You might know this disease as Lou Gehrig's disease. And in this disease, nerve cells break down. And this is something that the cause is unknown. The main symptoms starts with muscle weakness and losing that. And there's really no cure. And Ellen and her husband from 2014 to now in doing the Hops for Hope and of course bringing awareness which we talked about from the beginning is the biggest key component of all of this. Ellen, I think it's amazing and I love your personal story and sharing with us and how you are just continuing to keep his spirit alive and to bring the awareness to ALS and everything that you do with the ALS in Nevada. Thank you so much, Stephanie, and I appreciate the time. Um, you know, the most important thing to us is is to raise awareness and get the word out, and we are really focused on helping um, 
all of Nevada's ALS patients and families. So real quick before we let you go, just want to remind everyone too, they could go to ALSNV.org, correct, for the national uh, webpage? Yes, that's the that's the, the chapters, that's the local chapter webpage, and then uh, the direct to donate. Um, is the is the is the longer the longer <laughs> well, web? <laughs> we got to give that again. It's it's webnv so w e b n v dot a l s a dot org slash go to slash hops the number four hope. So directing your money there, finding out more information at alsnv.org, all kinds of good stuff. Ellen, thank you. It's just been so amazing to hear your story this morning and to see how you continue and, and help so many people. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I really appreciate it. And you have a great day and we'll talk soon. I'll be looking forward to the next, uh, the second adding of Hops for Hope. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Me too. All right, Ellen, have a great day. You too. Bye-bye.